Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. I'm James Harding. I'm the editor of Tortoise and the host of The News Meeting. It's the podcast where we try and make sense of what should be leading the news with three people who each come and pitch the story that they think matters the most. On the latest episode, we're joined by the journalist, historian and author Satnam Sangera. Like almost everyone, we go down the rabbit hole of that Princess of Wales photo editing story, and then Satnam explains why he thinks the Church of England paying reparations for its links to slavery should really be leading the news. Just search for Tortoise News wherever you get your podcasts and follow the feed so you don't miss an episode. A quick heads up before we get started. This episode contains strong language and themes of violence and abuse that some listeners might find disturbing. Gabby Petito never goes outside. (laughs) What do we want people to see when we share our lives with strangers? What do we hope to see when we follow a stranger's life? Hello, hello, and good morning. It is really nice and sunny today. It's only 10 o'clock in the morning, um, but it rained all afternoon yesterday. This video was uploaded on August 19th this year. It's titled, Van Life, Beginning Our Van Life Journey. Because of what happened, the video has a haunting, eerie quality. So, me and Brian just got up and got ready, made the bed in the tent. I think our plan for today is to just hang out here in the tent. Brian's stretching doing some morning yoga. I'm going to make some yogurt. The woman whose voice you're hearing, her name is Gabby Petito. And in the background, you can also hear the voice of her boyfriend, Brian Laundry. You may have heard the names. Maybe you've heard the story in passing, on the news, or on social media. I love the band. I'm not going to tease the story of this tragedy out. Gabby Petito was 22, and she never returned from this trip. On September 1st, Brian Laundrie took the van back to his parents' house in Florida alone. Ten days later, on September 11th, Gabby Petito's mother filed a missing persons report. Let's take you now to Northport, Florida, where officials are holding a press conference on the disappearance of Gabby Petito, who went missing on a cross-country trip with her fiancé. Let's listen. On September 11th, 2001. So everybody stop scrolling and pay attention to this poster. There's a missing person named Gabby Petito. This is breaking news all over the internet right now that this girl, Gabby Petito, went on a road trip with her boyfriend, and she has since gone missing while he returned home alone. A few days after that, on September 19th. After weeks of searching for missing 22-year-old Gabby Petito, grim news from the FBI. The FBI announced the discovery of human remains 
near Grand Teton National Park in Wyoming. Earlier today, human remains were discovered, consistent with the description of Gabrielle Gabby Petito. Two days later. The news alert just in from the Teton County Coroner in Wyoming, confirming the body found in Grand Teton National Park. Is the 22-year-old who went missing. Is Gabby Petito. The body is confirmed as Gabby Petito's. And she was killed. Her death now ruled a homicide. But that's not where the story ends. Brian Laundrie has disappeared, presumed to be on the run from police. And by the time I arrived in Northport, Florida, where he was last seen at his parents' house, the police and the FBI aren't the only ones chasing him. On August 30th, Gabby Petito sent her last text message to her mother. Or was it her? The day before, in Coulter Bay, Wyoming, a woman named Miranda Baker and her boyfriend picked up Brian Laundrie, who offered them $200 to take him to Jackson. When they kept going south, he became anxious. He wanted to take I-90. That's not a traditional news report you're hearing there. It's from the social media site TikTok, and it's just one of thousands focusing on Gabby's disappearance. The hashtag Gabby Petito has been shared millions of times. Gabby's story has led the news, but this hasn't just been a reporter scrum. An army of digital detectives, citizen journalists, activists, and influencers have become enmeshed with the story too. These are pictures from his Instagram. They were posting all these photos together. This is them on their road trip. But then all the pictures after that are just him alone. They share theories. They dig for clues. They're curious. And they're angry. People turn up outside Brian's parents' house. And his sisters, too. What do you want us to do? We cooperate with the police. We're not supposed to talk to anybody, and you're making my children cry. It's become a circus. I do have to say that if you saw this body cam footage and you have ever been in an abusive relationship, it probably seemed all too familiar. This is reactive abuse. Justice for Gabby Petito. I'm Nikki Wolf, and you're listening to The Slow Newscast. This week, the tragic death of a young woman in Wyoming and the story of the digital circus that sprung up around her case. It's a story that reveals how the lines between journalism and activism in the social media age have become blurred. So my name is Palmer Hosh, and I'm a digital culture reporter at Insider, where I cover influencers, memes, TikTok, and essentially anything that's happening on social media. And so I wonder if you could sort of take us right back to the beginning of the Gabby Petito story and kind of tell us how that played out on, on which sort of social media platforms. Essentially, in the week prior to when Gabby Petito's body was found and confirmed to belong to her, there was a lot of like bubbling discourse on social media and in TikTok in particular, which I think is where a lot of the attention sort of arose. However, as the algorithm on TikTok and his general interest in the case nationwide and internationally as well started to build, 
more and more people started to post and show interest and search for videos about Petito. And from there, what started as really sort of sharing the missing poster, sharing the clothes she was last seen in or things like that, really expanded to people sharing very minute updates, um, any new news item about the case, and eventually digging into things like Petito's Spotify, her YouTube videos, social media presence, body cam footage from police, and eventually possible theories. Gabby Petito's death was one of several horrific stories that played out this summer, including, here in the UK, the kidnap and murder of Sarah Everard by a Metropolitan Police officer. Gabby and Sarah's stories share few similarities, except for the key one, of course, male violence perpetrated against women. But they both felt like watershed moments. The statistics in the US are startling. In 2018 alone, there were more than 1,900 cases in which a woman was murdered by a man the overwhelming majority by a man already known to the victim. And those are just the confirmed cases. Many more missing women in the US are never found. Many of those are people of color, and it hasn't escaped notice by analysts of the fallout of Gabby's story that the case that really caught fire this summer involved a photogenic white woman. But I don't think that's the only reason this case drew as much attention as it did. Nice to meet you. I'm Hi. Olivia. Hi. <laughs> Yeah, we're rolling. Brian Laundrie's childhood home is a stucco-fronted yellow bungalow on a quiet suburban street. All of its windows are shattered. Outside it, the street's grass verges have been torn to mud by the wheels of TV trucks. So, hey, um, I wonder if we could start for, for kind of podcasty stuff, if you just sort of say, hi, my name is, yeah. and sort of what's, what, what you do and what's brought you here. I meet 23-year-old Olivia Vitale, sat across the street from the Laundrie's shuttered front door where she's sheltering under an umbrella against the relentless Florida sun, alongside a couple of grizzled snappers from the Daily Mail. Olivia first heard about Gabby Petito on TikTok. Olivia's a rising star on there, with skywards of a million followers. So the police body cam footage that was taken two weeks prior to her missing, that was heartbreaking because I saw myself in her and so many other people, especially women, we see ourselves in her. This is the video she's talking about. It's really, really tough to watch. You want to place your vehicle in the park and go ahead and turn it off for me? Yeah, yeah. No, park? Oh, it, it is in park, yeah. Okay, turn off your engine. Go ahead and set your keys on the dash for me, all right? What's your guys' names? Gabby. Gabby, Brian, okay. What's going on? How come you're crying? I'm just crying. We've just been fighting this morning. It was a long day. We were camping yesterday and camping got the stuff flies and stuff. I'm sorry. I'm sorry I hit the, the bump there. <laughs> I was distracting him from driving. I'm sorry. Can I get you the step? What you're hearing is from a road stop in Moab in Utah on August 12th. The man is Brian and the woman is Gabby. She's clearly extremely distressed. There's two people that came to us and told us that they saw him hit you. There's two people saying that they saw him punch you. We're just independent witnesses by Moonflower. Well, to be honest, I definitely hit him first. Where'd you hit him? I slapped him. You, you slapped him first? And then what, just on his face? He gets kind of shut up. How many times did you slap him? There's a couple. And then what, and his reaction was to do what? Yeah, I him, so I slap him. He just grabbed you? Yeah. Did he... Did he hit you though? I mean, I mean, it's okay if you're saying you hit him, and then I understand if he hit you, but we want to know the truth if he actually hit you. 
Because, you know. I guess, yeah, but I had converse. Where did he hit you? Don't, don't worry, just well, be see, honest. I grabbed my face, like, I guess. Uh -huh. um, he didn't, like, hit me in the face. Like, he didn't, like, punch me in the face or anything. Did he slap but, your face or what? Well, like, he, like, grabbed me, like, with his nail. And I guess that's why it looks it's later suggested that the witness who called 911 reported seeing Brian hit Gabby. And if so, that seems to have been lost somewhere in the dispatch process. The officers on the scene are clueless. In no way, shape or form that I can perceive does what happened here, a little slap fight between fiancés who love each other and want to be together, can I perceive that this is going to digress into the situation where he's going to be a battered man? Right. But then again, I don't have a crystal ball. And that's what makes this case, I think, so big and viral because it's relatable. We have that visual footage of her in distress with the dynamic of Brian Laundrie completely happy. He's joking. He's smiling. He's literally making jokes with police officers, the dynamic where she is just distraught. And when you see that contrast, you know there is something wrong. The red flags were everywhere and the police have received a lot of hate. And I can understand, but I also think that maybe in those certain type of situations, police officers that are more trained in domestic abuse should have been a part of the situation mm -hmm. or they should have brought someone in because the red flags were there. Olivia's videos are slick and highly produced. Each one takes her hours to make. Despite part-time work in real estate as well as babysitting, she quickly became one of a constellation of social media stars following and documenting the Gabby Petito case. Did the fact that she was an aspiring creator herself, you know, strike home to you as well? Do you identify with her? Yeah, that is true. I, I do feel kind of connected to Gabby because of how she was documenting her life with videos and she was similar to my age. She was just a year younger than me. We have the same zodiac signs. She's a Pisces, Aries moon, same here. Just favorite color. We like to say, like just little things like that that people might think are nothing, but I'm just a very empathic person. So little details just can connect me to someone that I don't even know or never met before. The thing is, I did um, in the past date someone who was very narcissistic and I just felt so bad and heartbroken when I saw the, the body cam footage because I know what she went through. Partly, it was just the sheer amount of material available. Gabby had been documenting her trip almost right up until her disappearance. There's a tangible feeling when you watch her videos. Somewhere in here, you find yourself thinking, there must be an answer, a key, a way to make what happened make sense. How do you conceive of your role there? Are you sort of thinking of yourself in, in a more kind of classically journalistic way or as, as part of a campaign or, or some kind of hybrid? I think a hybrid because a lot of people ask if I'm a reporter and no, I'm not a reporter. I don't have the classifications to be a journalist. I never went to school or anything for that. But I would say a hybrid of both. Last night I was live on my TikTok and I had 5,000 people watching, which was 
a lot for me. That never happened before. I was live at the, at the laundries and it's more authentic that way because people see the news on CNN and Fox news and stuff. But when it's, go when it's through someone else's phone and I'm standing literally in front of the laundry's house, they feel like they're actually there. So I am like the gateway. I provide that to people. What drew me into Gabby Petito's story was this social media circus. How the manhunt and the crime that preceded it was being interrogated, retold, and repackaged. How it was being processed by the narrative industrial complex. And how it was happening in real time. I guess what I am doing is a form of journalism, even though I don't have the qualifications. And do people really go to college for journalism nowadays. I feel like it's kind of a dying breed. I'm the eyes and ears for the people. I like to kind of be behind the scenes, but I provide the visuals for people so they can feel like they're a part of it. And the flip side to that, though, is that there's a lot of responsibility that comes with that, right? That comes with both representing and giving the information to an audience. How much are you thinking about how to make sure that this is accurate and, and responsible? What's, what's the sort of process that goes into that? Yeah, so there is a responsibility that comes, especially having such a big platform um, that I have on TikTok. I want to make sure that I provide um, the right information and statistics, but also in a way, I try not to make it opinionated towards me. I leave it open-ended where I kind of provide both sides of the story or what other people say. Olivia says she's been targeted for abuse herself. I actually got a death threat last night. Some person was on Instagram, DM'd me and said they want to kill me, they're going to find me, and I blocked them. Did you report that to the police? or? No, I didn't. I just blocked them, and it was some weird account. If it happens again, then I should probably do that. But um, I've always received hate on the internet. Even before the, um, I was covering the Gabby Petito case, I've always received that. And, and tell me if you, if you don't want to, to talk about this, but that's, that's a, a brave face to be putting on it, on something that's really a, a brand new thing that people sort of didn't have to go through in their, in their brains before this technological era arrived, right? Like it's... When you take a step back and think about it and say, oh, well, I'll check my phone again, another death threat, like that's, that's bananas when you take a step back and, and think about it, right? I mean, you're, you're 23 and recording for a signed-up audience outside the house of a murder suspect, reporting on what you believe justice should be. This is a young girl who's been murdered and you're getting murder threats like that's I mean that's that's nuts yeah it is it is nuts as you said the internet it's it can be a very dark place and it's so easy for people to say what they want because they're hiding behind a screen everything's just so immediate now and there's no filter between someone's idle nasty thought and the expression of that thought as a creator how do you for for a reporter like me, I've got the production company, broadcasting, institutionally who have my back. Who's Who's got your back? That's a good question. There is really no one behind my back. It's just me thinking about it. 
there's no institution. It's just me and my phone, me and this. That's, that's all I've got. I do have people that support me, that, that reach out to me and they want to meet up and do events together or do something. So that's nice. I see a lot of familiar people in my lives when I go live. A lot of people, it's almost like I'm starting to ha- make friends. I've made friends through the Gabby Petito case. It's crazy. I've met other creators that I'm friends with that we help each other, which is nice. Olivia introduces me to one of them, Justin Shepard. He's 39. There's a lot of people think that it's because she was a pretty young white girl. Um, I personally don't think that's the case. I think that um, you have somebody um, who was trying to make her life social media. She was a creator herself, and that was what was important to her. Because of everything that she had posted, you're able to go in and pick apart things and start looking at it. Things like, you know, their Spotify playlists, you know, Instagram posts, their app trails. All of those things people were able to kind of start looking at. And I think that made it accessible for the general public to try to get involved in this. And I think that when going a little further than that, when Jim Bethune of Red, White, and Bethune found the van and dash cam footage, and um, I feel like that directly led to them finding the body, that that you know, made it even more so like, look, look what social media has done and has accomplished. People love a puzzle, I say. Yeah, people do like a puzzle. And it's, even though it's a tragic puzzle, but then I think, too, you, it's not like a situation where like, you don't have a suspect. I know that technically he hasn't been charged as a suspect, but I mean, I think the court of public opinion got on that one. The day I arrived in Florida, Justin had just organized for a crowdfunded banner to be towed round the sky above the laundry's house, saying, Justice for Gabby. TikTok. Time's up. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. If you enjoy the Slow Newscast, you might also enjoy the We Society podcast. It's from the Academy of Social Sciences, and in each episode, host Will Hutton untangles the grand challenges we face as a society through a social science lens. 
He's gathered some of our country's most groundbreaking and influential social scientists to ask how their research could help solve some of the UK's and the world's most pressing problems. In the coming season, the We Society will tackle Britain's ailing high streets, bankrupt councils and the continued lack of disability inclusion, as well as other similarly important subjects. So if you want to hear research-led insights and solutions and a great conversation, look up The We Society on all podcast platforms. Outside the laundry house, I meet Andrew Griffin, a self-described citizen journalist who's been following Gabby's case every day since it first started to break at the beginning of September. Right now, she's heading out to the Carlton Reserve, a 24,000-acre wetland a few miles away, where investigators have been using sniffer dogs trying to track Brian down, though, so far, unsuccessfully. And she invites me along. I first heard about her going missing and her parents reaching out through social media, you know, just trying to find out. And I believe that was August, uh, I want to say August 28th, August 29th. Right Third Boulevard. And um, then... Um, so then when September 1st came around, you know, we heard through the grapevine that um, uh, Brian Laundrie showed up to his parents' house with um, the minivan. And that was found by people on social media? Yes. That, that was discovered, right? Yes. They, somebody, somebody let me know that it was here September 1st. And then, of course, we didn't, weren't paying attention, weren't paying attention. And then, um, you know, it, I think it was like around the 3rd or the 4th of September... Uh, and it was before the van was picked up. We didn't come over here. We didn't start documenting this until they started doing the search for him. But um, about the third or the fourth, that's when we realized that he actually came back without her. I thought that she was already dead. You know, myself, I have been uh, a, a victim of domestic violence. I know the progression. When I saw her and I saw how she was you know, almost defending him, trying to take the blame for what the, the altercation that took place. I, I knew that there was a lot more going on behind the scenes than many people do. People that have never been abused before in their life have, have no clue. She decided to get personally involved along with an old friend of hers, a citizen journalist and activist called Jonathan. Him and I had decided that we were going to start protesting in front of the laundry home. And uh, we were going to try to, you know, pressure them and, and shake them get them to crack under pressure and start speaking because they lawyered up. Andra is no stranger to protesting and campaigning. But she's getting scoops too. Details of the case that might never have seen the light of day. Here we got we saw the raid. We documented the raid uh, here with the FBI. And um, then they picked up the Carlton Reserve. They started doing the search out in the Carlton Reserve. So we were camped out there for days. Uh, just documenting that. And then when we started realizing that these parents were lying, we decided it got us really angry. And so we started coming out here pressuring, you know, the family to try to do the right thing. We've been, you know, we started out trying to plead to them. I'll be honest, I find Andra a little frightening. She was nothing but kind to me, but still, I wouldn't want to cross her. So, citizen journalist, uh, as you said, sort of tell, tell me about that, because it sort of also sounds like you're a citizen FBI police and prosecutor, too. So, yeah, so I've been uh, documenting a few things over the last year, you know, over the last couple of years, primarily 
um, masks and vaccines. You know, I'm an activist as well. And this um, murder mystery, so to speak, um, is the first one I've ever done. I think that the size of the community that can be engaged in a particular crime has grown on to, you know, to a global scale through things like TikTok. And, you know, ultimately you're sharing with complete strangers on the other side of the planet, your, your ideas about a particular case, whether it's ongoing or it's, you know, in the past. But um, the desire to talk about crimes that have happened or crimes that you think might be happening or, you know, who the sort of whodunit approach piece of things, I think that's been a human desire since we've lived in communities. <laughs> so I think that that is something we've always done. This is Dr. Shaw. I'm Dr. Julia Shaw, a criminal psychologist and the co-host of Bad People on BBC Sounds. Julia says there's always been a fascination with what she calls the carnival of crime. It's nothing new to social media. And in some ways, it's a sort of evolutionarily adaptive thing to do is to try and figure out what happened here and to try collectively to use your brain power to both identify potential threats. So a person potentially who is a threat to the group or people and to stop it from happening again or to continue happening. So I think that that's where there's sort of a strength in numbers as well that can come from that. It's the potential scale of social media, though, the sheer number of people that's different. And that leads to a whole new set of potential bad outcomes. Of course, it can also lead to conspiracy theories. It can also lead to misinformation. It can also lead to all kinds of weird interactions, potentially also with victims' families. Julia says what struck her about Gabby's case wasn't the details of the crime itself, but the way the community had built this whole relationship with the victim. Andrea and Olivia and many others who saw themselves and their own experience so vividly and what happened to Gabby Petito. I think when something like this happens and it's someone, as you said, who like we, we know or we think we know, and they feel kind of like, so it's called a parasocial relationship when we think we have a relationship with someone through digital means or through TV. So it's when we, it feels like we know the person, feels like they're a friend. And I think that that just massively increases our desire to help and, you know, engage with things that happen to that kind of person. So a crime that happens to a YouTuber um, is something that, you know, feels very different than something that happens to someone who has a more private life. And I think there's something that bothers me about that. What are you trying to hide? What are you trying to hide? Now you want to stay silent? Andra and a few others started protesting at Brian Laundrie's sister Cassie's house too. Didn't want to you stay didn't help Gabby's ABC, family. Did you? you didn't help Gabby's family when they were missing. You didn't help Gabby's family when they were missing. And on October 4th, Cassie broke. We want to know what the hell's going on. I'm coming out to talk to you, okay? Olivia caught the whole thing on camera as the protesters forced Cassie and her husband to emerge from their house and answer questions on the front lawn. Thank you. We want to know what the hell's going on. I'm not going to talk to you if you're going to be mean. We have fully cooperated with the police since September 11th when they called. I did not say that I saw my brother, I said I haven't been able to speak to him in reference to the time when I was called by the police. Since that point, I haven't been able to speak to my brother. I have been honest. What happened? Like, I don't just, know what just, happened. Yeah. Based off all the stuff on the internet, do you think Brian killed Gab? I don't know. The internet is the internet. I don't believe she was totally truthful with us, but I, I do believe she was truthful enough for us to back off. You know, we really don't see her being the mastermind of, you know, disposal of evidence and 
you know, helping him get away or anything like that. I do believe she knew more. She knew he was in trouble. When, when we say citizen journalist and, and we talk about the kind of influencer culture, is this like a, a new type of, of thing? What, uh, what would, would we recognize as journalism here and what would we recognize as activism? Yeah, I think it's a really difficult line, particularly on social media, especially because, you know, a lot of people that are like disseminating information or disseminating news on TikTok um, are sourcing from like news outlets, major news outlets. And so what is journalism? What, what do we qualify as journalism? Are you doing original reporting? Are you sharing verified information? And that sort of thing. And I think that's where some of the line kind of blurred on social media, because you had people, you know, sharing information, some of which may have been verified, some of which, you know, they would demarcate and say, this is unverified information, but maybe it's useful. So I'm going to share it anyways. Right. And it's it's kind of a hard line to make because on social media, you know, you if you don't have the backing of like a news institution that has certain policies about fact checking and verifying information and, you know, citing authorities, citing other witnesses, things like that, you can't always be sure like the validity of the information that you're consuming. There's an ethos that any information whatsoever is helpful, which misinformation researchers and experts have pretty much said that's not the case. You know, if you're sharing unverified information, regardless of your reach, you know, that could potentially spread far and muddy the waters further. You know, you had like theories about Petito Spotify, you had theories about Laundry's location, that misinformation researchers say you essentially shouldn't be muddying in an open investigation like this. Do you think it's inevitable that as this ecosystem matures, that kind of we're not going to be able to escape journalism conceptually being influencerdom or a, a different kind of influencerdom, right? That it's just influencer entities with certain levels of trust and that's sort of all there can be. Yeah, I think that's a question that I think about a lot. I think journalism really is turning to this sort of sort of creator model. And if you look at places like Substack as well, you see people getting these sorts of advances to launch newsletters and being incentivized to monetize their content and strike out individually in that sort of way. And so like, I think the journalist as creator, journalist as influencer thing is only going to become more and more and more pervasive as your personal reputation and the level of reach and the level of clout that you have and authority in a certain space. And there's kind of an inhuman relentlessness to, to the internet's attention, right? I, I was thinking this when I was um, we were talking to people outside the, the laundry's home and, you know, it, it seems overwhelmingly the likely case that their, their son committed this heinous crime and unclear to me what level of, of knowledge or not the, the parents have in that. Um, obviously, there's the law enforcement process to go through. But the the flip side, like I was watching these guys, they flew a drone over their house, they were recording them in the garden, they're being filmed taking out the trash, they're being shouted at, they're, they're paying for, you know, airplanes to fly banners around the place. And it's it's a difficult tightrope to walk. I think it's it's so hard because, like, once something becomes so extremely viral, you know, it I do think it has a dehumanizing sort of effect, mm -hmm. especially when you get into like this sort of theorizing, it, it becomes more more spectacle than, you know, like a real human story and a real tragedy. Brian Laundrie hasn't been formally charged with Gabby Petito's murder. 
that there isn't much doubt in Olivia's mind or in her videos about his guilt. Likewise, Andrew and Justin. Still, I want to ignore the urge to give a lecture on media ethics. The tabloid photographers outside aren't waiting till he's been given a jury trial before coming to their conclusion. And if I give my honest appraisal of the information currently available, neither am I. Nor can I find it in myself to say with a straight face that traditional journalism would, or even should, stay out of the way of the authorities so they can fully do their jobs and investigate unimpeded. Because, I mean, some of this stuff might not have surfaced at all if not for the digital detective work. Take the dashcam footage that was circulated online. It showed Gabby's white van on a deserted track and almost certainly led to her body being found more quickly. And on a more fundamental level, isn't it a healthy instinct for a reporter not to trust the authorities anyway? I want to talk some of this through with Olivia. The other thing that's um, often not a line that, that old-school news organisations walk uh, particularly carefully, it's an ongoing police investigation, right? In an ideal world, what we'd like to think the situation is is that the police will get on with it and find the truth and then the truth will be proven in a classical trial. And given that as a starting point, the, you can see how people would say jumping to conclusions before that process has had a chance to run through could be actively damaging. The flip side to that is, and I'm talking as well about the, I don't know if you followed the Sarah Everard case in the UK, where a woman uh, was murdered by an off-duty police officer. Certainly in, in the US as well, the authorities haven't earned that trust necessarily. Then again, neither has certainly certain parts of the media. Do you, do you see your relationship with the law enforcement and, and with the investigation as pushing them to do it right or doing it right in a way that they don't seem to have earned the trust that they'll be able to just be left alone to get on with it? What do you, what do you think? What do I think? I think police enforcement are certainly not trusted I feel like there's there is no trust, and that was about a year ago during the whole George Floyd thing and the protesting and all that. That broke a lot of people's trust, and then this with the Gabbettito case, and I feel like that loss of trust has kind of trickled into it as well. I haven't really dove into the Northport Police Department and stuff. I've heard good things. I've heard not so good things. I think they could be doing better. But again, I don't want to receive hate because I know people love their their police department and I respect that. But I did see a video of a, a man named Doug and he actually saw Gabby's van parked near the reserve. And this happened a day or two before Brian went missing. Brian had her van parked in the woods and he was there for a little bit doing something. And this man who was driving to work saw it. And he did a video of him going back to the scene of where it happened. Apparently police haven't even begun to go and check that location. And you would think that should be very important. There could be evidence that was left behind. But I was reading the YouTube comments and people are saying the police department haven't even checked yet. So that's like, 
you know, a little bit of a problem. So that's why I would say there's so many people on TikTok or like our own detectives, we're doing our own investigation because we see things that maybe the FBI haven't even seen. A lot of what Olivia's describing doing is simply journalism in a way I find quite encouraging. The human instinct to solve puzzles, right wrongs, solve mysteries is the journalistic impulse. And she takes her responsibility to her audience seriously. But still, an audience that big must have an effect on a person. It's all about the algorithm. The algorithm on TikTok. Like, I gained 30,000 followers last night, just overnight. And on Instagram, that would be, like, so hard. I don't even know how that would happen. <laughs> but TikTok, it's the algorithm, the way they designed the app. It's easy to get followers. Is it, is it just as easy to lose them? Is it kind of an ephemeral thing? Yeah, and it, it is. If you don't post for a while, like I'll look at my followers, it'll go down by the hundreds each day. So when you have a lot of followers, there is that fluctuation. And that's true for all creators that have a lot of followers. That happens. So I do feel that pressure to keep up. So I have to post at least once a day. I used to post once every three days or four days. Now it's, I try to do twice a day. Olivia is in a complicated position. If you squint, you can see what's happening here as a democratization of power away from journalistic gatekeepers and elites. But if you close the other eye, you can just as easily see mob justice. The situation outside the laundry house has a little bit of both of those things. The line is blurry. There are no easy answers. And we'd better get used to it, because this is the news ecosystem we've got now. Does it sometimes worry you how much people hate the laundries? How, how much can you keep that anger under control? Like, say, I don't know, if one, someone who was following you on TikTok decided to take matters into their own hands, you know, this is Florida, everyone's got a gun. Does that, does that thought worry you? I do think about that sometimes. There are a lot of crazy people and we're in Florida. I mean, Florida is like the craziest state in America. <laughs> yes, I, I, I do think about that, that someone could literally open fire on the laundries if they wanted to, but it hasn't happened so far and nothing too crazy. I think all they've had is people knock on their door. Thanks for listening. This story was written and reported by me, Nikki Wolf, and produced by Katie Gunning. Sound design by Tom Birchall. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. I'm James Harding. I'm the editor of Tortoise and the host of The News Meeting. It's the podcast where we try and make sense of what should be leading the news with three people who each come and pitch the story that they think matters the most. 
On the latest episode, we're joined by the journalist, historian and author Satnam Sanghera. Like almost everyone, we go down the rabbit hole of that Princess of Wales photo editing story, and then Satnam explains why he thinks the Church of England paying reparations for its links to slavery should really be leading the news. Just search for Tortoise News wherever you get your podcasts and follow the feed so you don't miss an episode.